welcome to Figures in the Tark. Figures. Welcome to Figures in the Tark. The podcast where we talk about all things murders, paranormal, turf, and gun duck. I think I got too distracted by them fighting. And I'm like, Welcome to Take Us Into Tech, the podcast where we talk about us things murders, paranormal, and terrifying going to deck. Hi, guys. Hi. That's our intro. I'm not having your uh, interview. Okay. I, Hi, guys. Well, I can't fucking speak today, so that's what you get. <laughs> so uh, we are figures in the dark. Hi, I'm Tori. I'm Taylor Shea. Uh, this is going to be a fucking episode and a half, motherfuckers. Get we're starting on in. silly, but we're not going to be there long. Not and I am so not excited for this case. You've yes. been telling me for a while you wanted to do this, mm-hmm. and this is one of the ones that I've least wanted you to do. Mm-hmm. So here we go. Yeah. So today we are talking about the. Well, before we do that, pause. Yeah. How are we doing? Mental health check-ins before before. No. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm doing no. Okay, sure. That works. Yeah. Um, I worked like 50 something hours this week. I work working 50 something next week. It's great. It's, I'm actually, it's, I'm, 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 in, I'm in a really happy place. I'm really, I'm really happy right now. So, um, but yeah, so we're going to record now. Yeah. Um, we are going to talk about the Gabriel Fernandez case. To add um, to my depression spiral, let's yes. add more depression. So this is, I have 12, almost 12, almost 12 to 14 pages of notes. I don't know if y'all can hear it. All of my notes. Those are all my notes. Um, it's, this has taken me over two weeks to, to, to research. Mm-hmm. Um, I watched the documentary. This is my fourth time watching the documentary. Um, it's called oh, wow. The Trial of Gabriel Fernandez on Netflix. It is very well done, very well written. It's a little, um, well, actually. It's very upsetting. Very upsetting, but it's very, ju- it jumps around a lot. Like, it's not, yeah. it starts it's off. It's not linear. No, it's not very linear, which is a little confusing, but I think that's why I've seen it so many times because mm-hmm. I rewatch and every time I rewatch it, I find something new. That's fair. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been, th- that documentary came out, I think in 2020, 2021 or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I immediately like watched it was in my brain. It was one of those cases that I just could not get over. I could not. Yeah. It was one of that stuck to me. One's, one that stuck to stuck with me, but that I was most upset about and that couldn't, I couldn't handle it. It was like that one and Abducted in Plain Sight. Mm-hmm. When I watched both of those documentaries, they mentally like upset me so much. Mm-hmm. Like both of those were ones that I had to stop watching multiple times and mm-hmm. like leave wherever I was because I couldn't handle mm-hmm. the the horribleness of mm-hmm. what humans were doing to each other. So <clears throat> I was telling Tay this morning, like, I haven't felt this deep divey in research since the Bucks County murders, which was the first mm-hmm. case that I did, which was May of last year. So, like, I went ham on this. I have so many sources. I literally had, like, 10 pages of handwritten notes oh my God. To, to do this. 12 to 14 pages of actual notes. So, before we get into this, I want to start by saying there's a huge content warning for child abuse, child neglect, torture, murder, bodily injury of a child, um, homophobia. Um, so everything horrible you yes. can think of basically exists exactly. within this case. Yes. So, I guess we'll kind of... Hoppity hop right in. Yeah. This might be two parts. I'm not sure if it's going to be two parts or yet. Yeah. This, so we'll see. A lot of information and a lot. Yes. A lot of information, a lot of heavy yeah, information. Please take care of yourself. Yes. If you're if you also don't... someone who can't handle like descriptions of like graphic child abuse and things like that, we understand if you have yep. to take a little break from us for a little bit yes, and I come agree. back. Exactly. And we appreciate you. We love you. Take care yeah. of yourself. Um, but 
here we go. Mm-hmm. So Gabriel uh, Daniel Fernandez was born on February 20th, 2005 to Pearl Fernandez and Arnold Contreras. Gabriel was the youngest of three kids the couple would have together. So Pearl was 23 when she got pregnant with Gabriel and Arnold testified that Pearl never wanted Gabriel. This was only proven when only a few days after giving birth to him, she left the hospital and left Gabriel in it. So then Gabriel or she left, but like called the people that he was going to be placed like her, her family and was like, come get your kid. Like, that's how he started off, three days and old. And that's where the story should have ended. Exactly. So, um, Gabriel was then placed in the care of his great-uncle on his mother's side, Michael Carranza, who lived with his partner, David Martinez. This couple raised Gabriel as if he was their own and loved him like a son. They raised him for the first four years of his life, and they said he was the happiest child ever. He said, like, uh, D- um, David Martinez was, like, he was so happy and bubbly. He never cried. Like, he was just <laughs> so happy. Loved them like they were his father's. So he loved his uncles, but some of Gabriel's family wasn't happy with the fact that he was being raised by a gay couple. This is what upsets me so much. None of this had to happen and none of this should have happened if people just stopped being fucking homophobic mm-hmm. and mind their their business. Like, this was a very happy child. This yes. was a loving home. These were two men who absolutely loved this child and was raising this child to be a good human yep. and was so good to him. Yeah, it, this, so this and happened. These were two people who took on this baby who wasn't wanted, yep. who was abandoned by abandoned by their mother. Exactly. Like, and this ha- so they so he left his uncle's home to live with his I think maternal grandparents in yeah. 2009. Yes. So this was like I, I was gonna say like I wrote down like you know b- about five years before the U.S. legalized gay legalized gay marriage and also this is a Hispanic family and like even though you know I have a lot of Hispanic friends who are very cool with the queer community and trans community there's a lot of Hispanic people who are not cool with with the queer and community. There's a lot of religion that yes. goes into it because of fucking colonization and mm-hmm. everything else. So unfortunately, yeah. like most folks that experienced colonization had very heavy religious values placed upon them that have not quite left yet. So, and not gonna lie, I was a little confused as to why his grandparents, his grandparents took them because his mom's parents, I think they were his mom's parents Mm -hmm. were not good to his mom. So like, I think it was probably like a let's do better by him. Well, I remember the situation. It wasn't just a let's do better by him, but this was also a form of control Mm -hmm. that the grandparents were working their way up to forcing her to take back this child that mm-hmm. they thought she never should have not had. Mm-hmm. That, like, from what I remember from the documentary, I think she she wanted an abortion. She did not want mm-hmm. to have him, period. Mm-hmm. And the grandparents would not allow that mm-hmm. and forced her to have this child that she did not want to have. Mm-hmm. And then after that was then trying to work their way up to forcing her to be a mother to this child mm-hmm. that she didn't want to be a mother to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's also a couple of reasons why yeah. she wanted to take him back, and we'll kind of get into that yeah. um, for shitty reasons. But um, but they loved him. They loved Gabriel. They loved they mm-hmm. loved this little boy. And so Gabriel lived with them for another about three years until he was about seven, until his mom, Pearl, and her boyfriend, Asar Aguirre, got custody of him. So now if you ask me, I'm not sure why they wanted to take him Gabriel into their home, meaning like yeah. Pearl and, and Asar also goes by Tony. Um, but... If you ask me, a lot of other people agree. They think that she wanted him into the home so she could get cash assistance. More than likely, I yeah. think, like, that was it. As well as, like, I know people were theorizing that potentially, like, the grandparents were then, like, okay, mm-hmm. you have to be a parent to this yeah. child. Because she had child. custody of, the, of his two older siblings. Yes. But not him. Yeah. That they were, I think they made a pretty big deal about the fact that it's, like, you are a mother to his siblings. Mm-hmm. Why are you not a mother to him? Exactly. But she never wanted to have him yeah yeah and so and i also want to preface when i say like she she wanted him for the welfare money i hate this narrative like 99.9 percent of the time like but i hate for this evil bitch that's it's probably true. true yeah yeah so um anyway the grandparents have thought they had legal custody of gabriel but 
Pearl never signed over her rights. Like yeah. even in the even when she abandoned him in the hospital, she never signed over her rights. She yep. was always legally his guardian, legally his parent. Which I think that that shouldn't be possible. That you shouldn't be able to just retain your rights if you abandon the child. Agreed. That there should be some like because like there's a way to do a contested divorce if yep. like someone is unwilling to sign the papers, but you want to divorce them. It there is a way. If someone abandons their kid and you take on this child. There should be a way. Mm-hmm. Agreed. I completely mm-hmm. agree. So I, I, like I said, I just want to remind of the content warning again because we're starting. We're going to start to get into mm-hmm. the abuse stuff. So, um, and I'm going to go into detail because I want everyone to know how fucked up everything was. And like, I don't just be like he got beat. Like I'm yeah. going to go into vivid detail about injuries he mm-hmm. had because I want to be very clear about how badly this child suffered and how shitty his mom and her boyfriend boyfriend were and are and always it's the same as the same warning with like the josh duggar stuff and what he had content wise it's because we don't want someone to downplay the severity Mm -hmm. of these things we don't want to tell you these things because of monetization reasons Mm -hmm. or like to profit off of this it's just so that people don't downplay the severity of these things Mm -hmm. i completely understand and 100 percent agree with people when they talk about that sometimes like saying these details are unnecessary Mm -hmm. or overly graphic or really only for the benefit Mm -hmm. of the people who financially um run accounts Mm -hmm. like this and things like that but really the only reason why we do these kinds of things and that we decide sometimes to tell you these details is to make sure that people are aware of Mm -hmm. how severe these cases are so that no one not takes this seriously exactly especially given that these are these two offenders are still alive exactly so um before we go into like the abuse stuff you know i said we're just about to go into i kind of want to give background on pearl and tony because i Mm -hmm. it kind of adds to like I don't want people to feel bad for them because what I'm about to say about Pearl like she had a shitty childhood but this does not excuse anything she did and I don't even feel bad for kid her like I don't even feel bad for kid her because the I have no sympathy for this bitch at all yes and one of the things that like I think I'll probably end up going on a soapbox rant many a times over people who were harmed as children don't grow up to be abusive Mm -hmm. or harmful people inherently Mm -hmm. and i really do hate this narrative especially i feel like this narrative exists way too often when it comes to child molesters that it's like oh if they were molested as children that they're like guaranteed Mm -hmm. to grow up to be one that's not the case Mm -hmm. and it's the same with like bullied people it's not people who are bullied who go on to be school shooters things like that it's usually bullies who do that Mm -hmm. but like people who are victims don't normally go on to victimize others Mm -hmm. there are just some people who do yep so um, Pearl was born on August 29th, 1983. Her father was in and out of prison and Pearl said her mother was really abusive to her and believed her mother hated her, which caused her to run away from home at the age, at a young age, specifically at 11. Now, Pearl also mentioned that two years prior to her running away, so at nine, she began using meth and drinking alcohol. Jesus. Um, I want you guys to remember this as this ends up impacting mm-hmm. her very heavily mentally, obviously, because you do yeah. substances at a young age. Um, she also said she was sexually assaulted by an uncle during her teen years. And mm-hmm. in the documentary, um, it is said that she was once kidnapped and repeatedly raped by a bunch of men that she knew. Um, so it's safe to say Pearl didn't have the best life. But like I said, not an excuse. I'm not trying mm-hmm. to like, you know, make y'all feel bad for her. Um, and there's some more info about Pearl, but I think I'm going to wait until we talk about like, her trial mm-hmm. because I feel like it, it, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? It like, it is more uh, relevant or pertinent mm-hmm. to that information than right now. So I also want to talk about Tony Orisaro. Um, there isn't a lot of information about Tony prior to him being an adult, but according to social workers, he at one point owned a car and had a stable job, okay. which they kept on saying that was like a big thing. And no, they, said it was a big, 
They said it was a big thing because Pearl never dated men like that. Okay. That's why they said it was a big thing. Yeah, that they were like, well, we thought he was stable yes. because, you know, he did the bare minimum of life mm-hmm. and that he was existing and he didn't have a criminal record that we knew of. Yeah, his, his defense team was like, he had a job and a car and he doesn't have a criminal history or any gang affiliation. Like, That's he only cool. started acting evil when it was Pearl because Pearl's this, like, black widow, like, seductress, like, which I, I, I partially believe some of I it was. I think that she absolutely contributed to this, but I it's the same as with the Hannah Landon mm-hmm. argument. The only people who hurt children are people who are already capable of exactly. it. Nobody pushes you or gets you there. It has to exactly. exist within you. Exactly. Um, and there was a lot of stories about Pearl being an abuser, not only to her kids, but to her boyfriends. That she apparently had. She apparently had a court case open at the time she got re- she regained uh, Gabriel that um, she was she had attempted to stab gabriel's dad Alrighty then yeah mm-hmm. and and they her family was always like pearl always played herself as the victim but she was never the victim oh i think eventually i really do want to talk about the concept of darvo mm-hmm. at some point because like obviously privately you know that i've been obsessed with consuming content about what's mm-hmm. happening with colleen ballinger mm-hmm. um mostly because i think like this is becoming a bigger deal and like more widespreadly talk widespread talked about than onision mm-hmm. in terms of the youtube community space mm-hmm. and one of the things that swoop was talking about in her most recent documentary is uh darvo mm-hmm. the concept of it it's deflect um deflect apologize uh, no deflect something i'm forgetting what the a is oh and then reverse victim and offender mm-hmm. so it's like basically the concept of it is abusers making you out to be the person Mm -hmm. who abused or harmed them and Mm -hmm. it sounds very much that pearl is one of those people that she deflects she is then aggressive and then Mm -hmm. will be aggressive to the person that she hurt but then she will turn it on them and be like oh well i had to stab you because of your behavior exactly kind of thing that it's like i'm the victim but which is unfortunately way too common in DV yep. relationships yep. and it sounds like that's the type of person she is yes, as well that's just like i'm the victim of this thing he ran into my knife he ran into exactly. my knife 10 times it, yep, like, exactly ridiculous exactly. shit and even though like you know he Asaro could or tony could have you know he how do i phrase this he could have stopped this he could have reported her he could have left her yep. at the bare minimum he could have left her Yes. Pure example, if you're going to be with someone who has a fucking kid and you don't want to ha- be be a part of that kid's life, fucking leave, leave them. Because they are a mother or father or parent first. Yes. I don't give That's a fuck. That's never going to change. This child's existence is never going to change. Mm-hmm. Get the fuck over it. Exactly. But all he did was add to the abuse. So yet again, another content warning, because I'm going to talk a little bit about reports that were made and what caused reports to be made. So we're talking about like mandated reporting, all that fun stuff. So Oh, that's what it is. Deny, attack, reverse, victim, and offender. Yep. Mm-hmm. Sorry. No, you're good. <laughs> so the first report that was made about the abuse that was happening to Gabriel was by his teacher, Jennifer Garcia, after seeing mm-hmm. him with a bunch of bruises. So when she asked him what happened, um, she was just like, oh, I got hit. And she's like, what happened? He goes, I have a question. She was like, what? And he goes, is it normal for my mom to hit me with a belt? And she no. goes, well, she was like, because she didn't want to say like, no, because people do physically discipline their children. But then he goes, but is it normal for her to hit me with the metal side of the belt? Is it normal for me to bleed when it happens? No. Um, I disagree with all of these things. I don't yeah. personally I don't care what you think your opinion is. 
I do not condone hitting children. No, hitting children doesn't teach them anything. And all studies have shown that uh, physically abusing children as forms of punishment completely damages the Mm -hmm. pathways in their brain and leads them to not only have a higher likelihood of developing depression, anxiety, or other mental health disorders, but also have issues with aggression later on them mm-hmm. in life themselves exactly so so, so she, and no. I, can, I can understand i can understand where this teacher is coming from because she doesn't it's one of those moments where i couldn't imagine having to be a teacher in a classroom because of the i can't tell someone else how they're going to parent their kid yes. but i know what is best based on yep. studies exactly. so she's probably stuck in that position yeah so she then called the principal and was like hey um, I just wanted to let you know I'm making a report about this. And she reported it. So this is when Stephanie Rodriguez was assigned mm-hmm. to the case and his teacher was made aware of this. So another time Gabriel came into school with this is um, so we're starting to get bad um, with chunks of hair missing and his lips really swollen um, under the teacher reported under the patches of hair missing. He she said it looked like they were scabs as if the hair had been ripped out and was now healing. How do you even do that to a person, mm-hmm. let alone a child? So when asked what happened, he said his mom had hit him in the mouth. Um, this prompted her once again to call the hotline and report the injuries. And then after this incident, um, he came to school again a little while later and reported to his teacher that he had been shot in the face with a BB gun by his mother. Um, when she found this out and asked her why he hadn't come and told her about it, because he was like to coming in, yeah. he would come and ask her to call. Yeah. He'd be like, can you call that lady? Can you call that lady? Yeah. After he asked her the final time, um, he came in after he was shot with a BB gun and he simply replied he was scared because, quote, that lady comes and i get hurt worse so it was because this child shouldn't be there exactly so um despite him you know because this put her in a tricky place being like i i don't want him to be further hurt, but i need to make this report but he needs to get out yes so then after um she so she made the report after this visit following the report about gabriel being shot with the bb gun he missed school for 13 days um, and when I he, would be calling the police the entire time. So, um, and something that happened was, I think it was with the BB gun incident or maybe this ne- next incident I'm going to talk about. He came to school and she had him sit in the office with her and she was talking to the principal and, the pr- and she was like, let me take pictures. And principal's like, we don't investigate. It doesn't matter if you don't investigate. Mm-hmm. There needs to be amicable proof. How the fuck are you going to look this kid in the face and be like, this is a normal occurrence and mm-hmm. be okay with a child coming to school looking like that. Mm-hmm. And that's, bullshit Mm -hmm. because absolutely like if this kid was hurt on school property and you didn't want a lawsuit you would be taking pictures exactly exactly shut the fuck up exactly so when he i hope that that principal lost their job he didn't he didn't but that person deserves to not be around children if he cannot care for the safety of children so when gabriel came back after those 13 days he was in the worst shape his teacher had ever seen him in she said the whites of his eyes were completely red and it looked like the skin on his forehead had peeled off she also noticed wounds and bruises that were in various stages of healing. So she knew that he must have looked worse when he was home for those 13 days. Like he was kept home because of how bad he looked. Um, and this made her make yet another report. But she says she never got a call back from the caseworker, even to this day, has never gotten a call back from the caseworker. So I also want to make a note that around this time was around Mother's Day. Because he passed in May on May 20, I want to say 25th of 2015 or no, 2013, sorry. Um, around this time, this was about a week or two before he, he passed, um, they were making Mother's Day projects and his and the teacher was like, do you want to make one for your mom? And he's like, of course I do. I love my mom. Mm-hmm. So he there are picture pictures in the documentary. And if you search up his name, they she would have the kids hold like M.O.M. and take pictures. And she, there's pictures of him with like a swollen eye smiling. And she's like, make a funny face. And he still made a funny face 
like this to give to his child. mom. Um, and she also he also she also read out things that Gabriel wrote for his mom because when he left the last time he ever left school, what was on his desk was the Mother's Day gifts for Pearl. So she read them out, and it was um, like a little house that you would color, and you would open it up, and it would be a picture of Gabriel, and then it was like things I love about my mom, like she's beautiful, she's this, and he made her a coupon book that contained coupons for things like a good day for mom and I, and I'll be good for a day. You're always good. Yeah. You are a child. Yeah. So, yeah, that's fucking heartbreaking. Um, obviously, um, we're kind of getting to the point now where y'all can kind of realize, um we're not going to be joking a lot now no. uh this and is i may cry i cried quite a lot when i watched this documentary mm-hmm. because i cannot even begin to fathom how someone could be so cruel to a child mm-hmm. yeah and what he suffered and what he went through is so deeply disturbing that no one's last moment should have been that especially not an innocent child there is nothing that he mm-hmm. could have ever done that would have ever been deserving of even an ounce of what this Mm -hmm. horrible couple put him through Mm -hmm. and yeah although i am not a religious person i hope the concept of hell is real just for them alone purgatory i hope they go to purgatory if not the seventh layer of hell so it wasn't only his teacher calling social services um gabriel's great aunt also called social services three times and spoke with sheriffs twice about the abuse they suspected to be happening to him um, a security guard by the name of Arturo um, Miranda Martinez was working as a so- uh, security officer at the Department of Public Services in Palmdale, and he also made a report because Pearl came in with her three children, and so was Ga- so the oldest is Ezekiel, mm-hmm. the middle is Virginia, and then there's Gabriel, so those are her three kids. Um, Marti- Martinez, the security guard, noticed wounds on Gabriel, mainly little cigarette burns on his neck and behind his ears, and he also noticed bruising, quote, on the side of his head, around his nose, under his eyes, and on the back of his head and on his wrist. He witnessed Gabriel rubbing his wrist as well and testified that he thought they looked like ligature marks on his wrists. That's horrific. He then took note to the mother's name and address of where they were staying at and reported to the police, even though he knew it could cost That's him his job. That's a good man. Yes. So That's when, what people should be yeah, doing. Yeah. So when he called 911, the dispatcher told him to call the non-emergency line. That is not and was like, emergency, and, and for was, fuck's sake. And was like, do you think this is an emergency? And he yes. was like, yes, it is. This kid needs help. Yes. Um, and so um what the fuck like yep i usually am someone who is always defending for like the people for 911 operators like mm-hmm. i know they're frustrating it's frustrating to have someone tell you to calm down when you were mm-hmm. upset but they are specifically trained to try to get you to talk as long as possible so they can get as much amount of information mm-hmm. as they can as well as so that they can record the interaction mm-hmm. in case because unfortunately there are many circumstances where perpetrators of crimes we'll are the that. ones calling yep. so then they can use this for evidence later if need be however yeah and i know like because we were specifically trained to do this working mm-hmm. on hotlines you do have to have some level of being able to kind of prioritize Mm -hmm. what you think is most Mm -hmm. the emergency and be able to say like this is something that fully needs police for right this Mm -hmm. second or this is something that like i could possibly potentially like like, get you to a counselor example like like, an example i have that is you know someone calls our hotline they talk about they were just strangled and they're concerned about getting custody of their kids a lot of times they'll be concerned more about the custody but in reality you need to go to a hospital. Yes. So it's prioritizing. They're both very big yes. things. And I can understand why someone would want their kids first. But you need to get checked out first. And it's yes. hard sometimes to be the other person on the phone being like, I need yes. you to calm down. I need to get information to from you. Two things. that The best thing to do in that situation, having to do two things, 
convince them to get that to get mm-hmm. medical help but also giving them enough information to feel confident that the other thing is settled yes. so that they can get what they need to taken exactly. care of exactly and like but in this situation as a 911 operator someone is telling you these amount of injuries on a child why would you ever think that this is a non-emergency situation mm-hmm. although this is his biological parent that is doing this to him and their partner however what if this was an abducted child mm-hmm exactly like these are things that like are 100 yeah. percent warranted for police investigation and for medical attention mm-hmm. exactly so um so then he then called the sheriff and reported the abuse providing them once again not only with his name and address and information but also pearls so pearl noticed people looking at gabriel in the office and told him to sit down with his siblings and when they left she like blocked gabriel's like martinez's view of gabriel as she walked out like because she didn't want him to see she knows anymore. what she's doing is wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> So there was also an incident 87 days before Gabriel died. So Pearl was visited by a social worker from DCFS or the Department of Child and Family Services and showed them a note that Gabriel wrote in on colored paper in colored paper colored paper, construction paper and colored pencils that said, quote, I love you so much that I will kill myself. Why would anybody think this is a legitimate note? And if they thought that. Why wouldn't they be taking this child to the hospital so immediately? They, the social worker then called a hotline so Pearl could speak with someone regarding the note. Pearl said on the phone that the note was written a few weeks ago and Gabriel wasn't acting any differently and wasn't like making any more threats. So there were a few questions as to why Pearl showed the social worker this note when she hadn't made any moves previously to help her son. So some people were speculating she showed this um, note that way if and when he was killed they might suspect a suicide. Sure, because seven-year-olds yeah. just do that. Yep. So I went all over the. I went over mm-hmm. all this to say that there were reports made, there were efforts to make made and try and save Gabriel, but the system failed, failed him. him. The system failed him in such a yes. big way, and we'll talk more about how it a failed them. A complete systematic failure, yes. and I'm very happy you're going to go into that because these things can be fixed systematically. Mm-hmm. Could be fixed. This mm-hmm. child could have been saved. Yep. So now we talked about the events leading up to the 911 call. Let's talk about the 911 call and that night. Mm-hmm. So. Like I said, content warning. So on May 22nd, 2013, Pearl called 911, reporting to t- reporting to them that her son wasn't breathing after slipping and hitting his head on the bathtub. Tony had also made a call around the same time, and the 911 operator let him know that paramedics were on the way and was like, is he breathing? And Tony was like, no. So she's like, do CPR. So now I want to touch more on this later. So I want you to remember that the operator told Tony to do CPR. I want yeah. you to keep that in your brain because that comes yeah, back Which is later. also a very common thing for uh, yes, 911 exactly. operators to try to get you to do. Yep. So paramedics arrive and they don't expect to see the scene in front of them. Outside in their, in the apartment, in the apartment, uh, outside in the apartment complex, Gabriel's 10-year-old brother Ezekiel is directing the paramedics into the right apartment. And this was weird because the area that Gabriel and his family lived in wasn't the best area at night, especially at night. Yeah. There was a lot of gang activity and a lot of yeah. parents kept their kids inside once it got dark. Yeah, that they is were, weird. Seeing a yeah. 10-year-old outside directing at like, It was traffic. like 10 11, 10, 11 at night. Yeah, it was, it was late at night. fucking weird. Yeah. So paramedics go into the apartment and are directed into the back, into the back, into the bedroom of uh, Pearl and Tony's apartment. They find Gabriel in the bedroom in severe distress, um, laying face down or no, face up, sorry. They quickly moved him from the bathroom into the living room and onto the floor, working on getting his heart restarted and him breathing again. They work on him, eventually get him breathing again. They have to administer epinephrine, all that type of stuff. Yeah. They then load him into the ambulance and rush him to the hospital, uh, the nearest hospital. The paramedics end up th- saying that they actually thought he had some sort of skin disease due to the sheer amount of wounds he had on his skin. That's how badly he was burned and, and cut up. He thought like his they had a skin disease. I don't know why that would be their first thought. I feel 
Well, it was, it was well, more. It was more of like yes. their first initial reaction was like, was like uh, what? Uh, what? Because they just, yes, because this got... is not normal. Well, and you're just... saying this kid slipped and fell and hit his head. These so, d- injuries don't make sense. But me, I'll be honest. My first thought would be like, this kid is a victim of child abuse. Well, I would not think it's skin well, disease. That was like, well, because think about it, they walked in and they were just expecting a kid in yeah. severe distress. Yes, That's they it. were. They were expecting probably a lot of blood from mm-hmm. slipping and falling, but they were expecting a head injury and a head injury only. Yes. And so when, and, but they said that like, it wasn't like they went to the hospital like, Oh, he's in distress. Like this is a skin disease. Like that no. was just their initial reaction. Yeah, was they were like, like what the fuck and then is as, also good. They, they're thinking there's compounding issues. Yes, exactly. And then as they started working on him, they're like, yeah. Oh no, like no. this is not a skin disease. No. So I also wanted to note that both Pearl and Tony argued with paramedics saying Gabriel was a liar and that he hit himself. Mind you, Gabriel's unconscious this entire time. And it doesn't matter to EMS. They don't care. Exactly. They're literally just asking you, you said this kid slip and fell. We just need to know how long he's been down. Yes. So and that we can see if there's brain activity. Like, what does that yep. matter? Like, <laughs> Yep. And Tony also made a point of calling Gabriel gay to both cops and paramedics as if that had anything to do with them trying to save Gabriel. No. Life. As well as, like, how does that have anything to do with a slip and fall? Exactly. This is, like, I'm glad they're fucking stupid, but also... How do you think you're not fucking suspicious or that your behavior is fucking normal? Because this mm-hmm. isn't fucking normal. Nobody walks into a situation and is like, I'm going to verbally attack this person who's unconscious. Mm-hmm. Like, no one thinks that's normal. Exactly. That's not normal behavior. Yep. So Gabriel ends up coding multiple times in the ambulance and they're able to revive him. And he also coded multiple times while in the ER. The ER nurse, um, Christine Estes, was in the room when Gabriel first came in. And she was like, I had never seen anything like that in my career. She said that he had a pulse when they had him on the gurney from the ambulance. And they lifted him, put him on the gurney in the hospital, in the ER, in the trauma room. And he lost his pulse. And yeah. so, that, like, he they he probably coded, I want to say, I think they mentioned, like, five or six times. Because he has so many dramatic yes. injuries to him yep. that it's... So... How would it even be possible for your yeah. body to function? So he was covered in injuries. And I'm going to talk about the injuries. Mm-hmm. So, but let you know... So the biggest one was he had a depressed skull fracture. Um, they said that when you felt his head, it felt like gravel because of how bad his head was broken. Um, he had burn marks on his throat, bruises and cuts on his face, a cut above his penis, um, ligature marks on his wrist and his ankles, multiple cigarette burns, rug burns on the top of his feet as if he was drugged across a rug, like face down, like by his mm-hmm. arms. Mul- um, multiple BB bullets still stuck in his body, including one in his lung and one in his groin. Um, so those are the biggest injuries that were reported mm-hmm. when he came in. Um, so once the everyone was able to stabilize Gabriel, they transported him to the Children's Hospital of Los Angeles, where you'll have more of intense care than the original hospital would be able to provide. It's kind of mm-hmm. like the, like you yeah. would bring someone to like Grandview near us, like yeah. bring the or, mm-hmm. yes, that they would do it, the emergency. Yes the triage but he needs ICU. like like they would like they would go yeah. to the hospital near us but then they'd send him to chop in philly exactly because that's where chop chop can yes take care of him better. exactly because they he need, clearly needs an icu mm-hmm. he needs constant care exactly. that's more than any er staff is capable yeah. of so this is a hospital where gabriel will be put on life support and then two days later so may 25th 2013 after being pronounced brain dead his family would make the decision to take off him off life support and he would later mm-hmm. pass away so even with Gabriel being alive from May 23rd to May 25th, Pearl and Tony were arrested right after the paramedics arrived, like right away. Yeah. Um, first, I also want to mention, though, that neither Pearl nor Tony tried to get into the ambulance or accompany their son to the hospital. Yeah, because they don't care about him. Yep. And what, this was brought up a trial. And the firemen, one of the, fire, one of the two firemen slash paramedics mm-hmm. that were at the scene said they were more concerned with the other two children and the cats than Gabriel. Like Pearl was like, what yeah. about my cats? What about my cats? 
And I want to know, they had a, you know, like a dog cage. They had yeah. four cats in that dog cage and that's where they kept their cats. And you're concerned about, well, one, that's not taking care mm-hmm. of them. But like, you're more concerned about them than this child mm-hmm. who's dying. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that doesn't show guilt at all. Okay, cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we're going to kind of get into the um, beginnings of arrests, trials, and shit like that. So at first, Pearl was charged with felony child endangerment, and Tony was charged with attempted murder because murder because Tony was the one who mm-hmm. admitted to getting beat. Because when he was um, uh, questioned by police, the person yeah. who who questioned him did a very very good job being like very good job playing mm-hmm. good cop, very yeah. good job being like you just like snapped, right? Like did you like what happened? Tell me what yeah. happened. Like you were just so mad, right? He goes, yeah, I was just so fucking mad. He wouldn't pick up his toy like this, that, and the other, like. And, like, he was good at getting him to say, I did do this. Yeah. It wasn't, like, there wasn't a motive, but he admitted yes. to doing well, this. Well, I commend That's why. that officer for being able to do that, but yes. I don't know how I would handle Neither would I. Neither hearing would I. any of these things. No. Or I I assume this, like, obviously still not very much of a supporter of law enforcement, but, mm-hmm. like, I can't imagine how much that must weigh on this person mm-hmm. to have to have had this conversation with someone mm-hmm. and pretend to say these horrible things yep. and to go home. Yep. And, like feel yep okay okay or even to have to like hear someone directly say these things to you mm-hmm. like you're never going to recover from something like yeah. that mm-hmm. so once gabriel died uh pearl and tony's charges rose from rose to first degree murder with the special circumstances of torture yeah. so a lot of people were asking why the da uh, didn't charge tony and pearl with a hate crime since a lot of people said they thought they beat gabriel to death due to him being perceived as gay so prof- uh, pr- prosecutor i think his name was joseph jonathan jonathan hatami mentions that this mentions this in the documentary he said while they did think of charging them with a hate crime they knew it would be easier to use this idea of committing a hate crime as a motive to the murder as opposed to the crime itself yes which is i think is excellent prosecuting in my idea i think that that's a really good idea because there could have been risk for them to not get as severe of a punishment as Mm -hmm. they should or for them to not get convicted if someone was because like a hate crime is really really difficult Mm -hmm. to convict for and unfortunately because there are a lot of juries that are home like there are Mm -hmm. jurors that exist that are homophobic or racist or any of these things that they just might not care about Mm -hmm. or want to attach hate charges to exactly hate crime charges to things yep so originally uh tony and pearl were try we're gonna they're gonna try the cases together with them as co-defendants because it was like a a, yeah a co-crime well, they, yeah they did it together um however pearl's defense filed something called an atkins motion which would cause a delay in tony's trial so the court made the player made the idea to split up the pair sure. um because an atkins motion it's very briefly is essentially a motion that you can't um you can't um sentence mentally disabled folks to death like you can't do that that's or some something okay. something along those lines so already then yeah so like i mentioned earlier um you know because the and i'm but this the, happened in california right yes california at this time didn't even have the death penalty did they yes they did really they they can still so even in states federally capital punishment is legal okay so federally you can still convict someone of Mm -hmm. death the death the death sentence even if it's on like hold or on on whatever it is yeah that's how okay california as of recently has put everything on a hold all the death sentences on a hold Mm -hmm. but at this time you could still try for death Okay. Yes, and that'll come up. Like I mentioned earlier with the Atkins motion and Pearl's diagnosis, I kind of want to mention some of the mental diagnosis she had. So Pearl had been examined by Deborah S. Uh, Moira, who concluded that Pearl had a very limited intellectual capacity about that of a second grader. She also confirmed Pearl's diagnosis of a depressive order, developmental disability, a possible personality disorder, and post-traumatic stress disorder. So this led the court psychologist to believe that Pearl is, I quote, virtually unable to use thoughts to guide her behavior and control her emotional reactions. I'm not putting this here as an excuse to what she did. 
I'm just stating the facts. Like, this yeah, is just what like, was a part of the court yes, transcripts. But I think the doctor also, I think, can be mistaken here. Like, even someone with a second grade level mm-hmm. of knowledge knows, not, knows to kill someone. not to kill somebody and knows yep. not to torture someone. Yep. So anyway. And do- she was doing things to actively try to get away with it. Exactly. So the splitting of the cases also might have to do with the fact that once Pearl and Tony were in the courtroom together, Pearl would yell at Tony and be like, why are you lying? Why did you kill my son? Why are you lying to them saying that I helped you? Like yelling at him in court, in open court on record. Bitch, we know you did it. Yep. So there's also okay. an incident where they were placed in holding cells in the courthouse next to one another. Mm-hmm. So they were like, it was like a wall, but it, yeah. it wasn't like, you know, it was a wall. Yeah. But so they could hear each other, they could talk to yes. each other. And they wire both the cells to see like what would happen. Good. Unfortunately, the recording in Tony's cell malfunctioned, but the one in Pearl's didn't. So she was asking Tony if he told his lawyers that what they did was accidental mm-hmm. and making sure they had their story right. And then it turned weirdly sexual. So she talked to him about the time she was on their bed and touching herself for him as if torturing this poor kid to death was fucking foreplay. Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, so. Uh, I hope she dies. Yep. Well, no, I hope she has to live with things forever and that all the things that she did to him happens to her. Yeah. Okay. So since Pearl and Tony's cases were split, they decided to have Tony's trial first. Before getting to the trial, I wanted to mention something that they mentioned in the documentary. And I kind of wasn't sure what where to put it, but I guess I'll kind of, like, bring it up now. Mm-hmm. So when crime scene investigators came to the scene, they had a fresh roll of tape and, like, stickers to mark where they found blood or blood splatter. Okay. They found blood in the sink and the drain, making them think they had that Tony had washed, like, Gabriel's mm-hmm. blood off his hands. By the time they had finished investigating the apartment, they had to open a whole nother roll of different color label markers because of how much blood they found in the apartment Jesus Christ. like how like it was a whole new roll mm-hmm. of bright red like arrow tape yeah they had to open a whole new roll of yellow ones and they almost used that entire roll as well that's how much blood they found in the apartment so something else i wanted to mention was that the police didn't think that tony gave gabriel cpr no um because they didn't see any blood on tony on, or on his hands or like on his face because you don't have to like do yeah. like mouth to mouth yeah and if you listen to the audio of recording of tony's 911 call it doesn't sound like someone who's giving a child cpr because you would hear like like a thumping you would yeah. hear him like breathing for gabriel yeah. none of that was heard during the call like it was just no. like she was like do cpr he goes okay yeah Dead he's not doing it no so let's take a breather because mm-hmm. um it's not gonna get better it's gonna get worse from here mm-hmm. um so let's just take a breath um we love all of you i'm sorry yeah. to my co-host because i know you're struggling with this right now yes, my I apologies find this deeply upsetting yes and like i hate kid cases me too i know we've done a lot of them in recent but er, nothing months. like this nothing to this degree i think other than the sylvia likens case mm-hmm. but like stuff like this upsets me to such a deep mm-hmm. deep degree mm-hmm. i know like it is tough it is yes. very difficult and yes i hate it yeah so um now we're gonna go into the trials so tony's trial was first and began in late 2017 the jury was selected and it consisted of seven women and five men so the trial started with the prosecution delivering the opening statement and explaining some of the abuse that happened to gabriel so lead prosecutor jo- jonathan hatami said this case was about the systematic torture of an innocent child mm-hmm. and proceeded to explain how tony at the time of the beating that led to gabriel's death was 6'2 and weighed 270 pounds and at this time, Gabriel was only 4'1 and weighed only 59 pounds as an Which, eight-year-old. that sounds to me also like he is malnourished and... We'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So the uh, trial began. The prosecution brought up over 100 witnesses to testify about the abuse Gabriel suffered. And they also had over 1,200 exhibits to submit to evidence. Um, like, that, it was insane. Yeah, that shows quite a lot mm-hmm. of injuries to this child. And I hope, like, this is one of those cases where I really hope that the judge 
gave mon- like money to the jurors. Yeah, I, th- for I think they, I, I think all of them yeah. got counseling. If I'm not mistaken. Good. Um, so firemen who were the paramedics who responded testified, and for many of them, it was actually the first time they'd ever done so because firemen don't testify. No, they don't. This do is that. not a common occurrence. No. At all. Like, the closest any fireman usually ever comes to a courtroom is in arson cases. Exactly. So they talked about the scene they walked into, as well as the severity of the injuries to Gabriel's body. The prosecution also brought up some of Gabriel's family, including his aunt, Pearl's sister, his aunt meaning Pearl's sister, his grandmother, and his biological father and his siblings. So I kind of want to go into detail about each of their testimonies, because there's important parts of each one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, So Pearl's sister's name is Melissa. That's Gabriel's aunt. She said that she was so excited to be an aunt and often loved hanging out with Gabriel. Like, there's so mm. many pictures of them together. Like, they were... Because she was a minor when this happened. So she was only, like, 15, 16 when this happened. Yeah. Um, she was an adult during the trial because she was able to be videotaped. She talked about one time she went over to Pearl's apartment and saw Gabriel had a black eye and missing teeth. When she asked him how about how he got them, he uh, first told him he got them by fighting with his siblings. Then when he was pressed more, he admitted it was due to Tony holding him down and Pearl, quote, socking him. Um, and this isn't the first time the family had seen something like this. And it actually got so bad that Melissa had begun sleeping over their apartment so the abuse wouldn't happen. That upsets me so deeply that mm-hmm. her as a child, she felt that she had to put herself in harm's way mm-hmm. and or that she was the person responsible to keep him from getting hurt mm-hmm. when it was other adults' actions she, that were hurting him. On, on trial, she said, she's like, I couldn't do anything. I was a minor. Yeah. She took pictures. That's all she could do. And she took pictures yeah. and of, it of never sh- She never should have been put in that situation. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing she could have done. Mm-hmm. And I feel so guilty because like survivor guilt for I can't imagine what the survivor's guilt for her and mm-hmm. the other children must be like mm-hmm. because they were kids and they were completely helpless in this situation, mm-hmm. too. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of talk about um, Gabe. That was kind of all of her testimony. Mm-hmm. And then Gabriel's grandfather, his name is Robert, his testimony. He testified that not soon before his death, Gabriel asked him if he could come back home to their house. Um, and his grandfather said he couldn't take him home due to the D- D- DCFS case. Um, but he was like, I pro- he, he, I'm going yeah. <laughs> to start crying. <laughs> um, he looked at Gabriel and was like, I promise you I'll bring you home. And he wasn't able to do that um, because of stuff that because of Pearl's actions because of Pearl's actions. actions. Um, And they also talked to because his his um, great uncle, the one uh, who's biologically his great uncle, Mm -hmm. he passed away. But he ended up they they end up interviewing his um, not during the trial because his uh, his great uncle's partner, um, David, I think David Martinez, actually ended up getting deported back to Ecuador Mm because he was undocumented. Um, So they traveled to Ecuador to. In Talk, interview I him. remember his yeah. interview and he seemed like someone who loved him so yeah. much. Yeah, and he was saying that when he found out about Gabriel, his plan this like every time I hear about it, it makes me want to fucking cry. His plan when um he heard about Gabriel and he was like when he woke up from the coma, he like when he when Gabriel was if he was gonna wake up from the coma, David's plan was to go to Gabriel and say, like, you're coming home with me. Like you're coming yeah. home, like to, I like a loving home. A different kind of crime, but I do just wish, like, if this man just like took him, I wouldn't have cared. <laughs> like, yeah, like he, his plan. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Um, he was gonna wake Gabriel up and be yeah. like, "You're coming home." Yeah. And like and that's where he always should have been. Oh my God. <laughs> this poor baby. Oh, guys. But, like, Oh, my God. It it breaks my heart. This poor baby never (sighs) should have gone through any of this. And he was ripped from a loving home to be tortured Mm -hmm. and abused 
by a horrifying person who never should have even had her other two children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they also brought up um, Gabriel's biological father, uh, Arnold Contreras. Um, and he was actually in jail at the time of Gabriel's murder. Um, he actually reached out to Prosecutor Hatami, or H Hamadi and asked if he could meet with him to talk about what happened with his son. So Hamadi was actually shocked that Arnold wanted to meet because he had been prosecuted by the DA's office before. Yeah. And it was kind of like, how would you trust me? Like, I'm a cop, kind of. I work with yeah. cops, kind of thing. Um, so they, they hit it off. Like, he was saying, yeah. like they immediately like hit it off they like they're still yeah. friends to this day like they still stay in contact yeah. um so arnold was brought on as a witness to the trial i'm that's what makes me even more sad like about this situation is like even people who on paper would look like the like bad people for a child to be around still were good enough people to know that none of these things should ever happen mm -hmm. to a child so during tony's uh, trial he testified that he was in jail during the murder like i said and he found out because a chaplain um came to him in the rec yard and brought him into the chapel and was like hey i want to let you know like your son, youngest son like he's on life support and he's going to be taken off life support um and he so the prosecutor was like if you what would you say to your son if um if he was here right now and this is he said he would he just said i'm sorry i'm sorry for not being there for you and he was like if i wasn't in jail i would have saved you um so i can't imagine how helpless he must have felt too like there's nothing you can do for your kid yeah you le you literally can't you can't even mm -hmm. you can't do anything you can't even talk to this child mm -hmm. yeah like, so um, now we're going to talk about Gabriel's siblings and what they witnessed. Um, this is where we're going to get into some very, very graphic details as well. Um, I know and we... I really hope these kids, they also get lifelong support and help. Yes, they because... are apparently currently with family members um, who mm -hmm. love and adore them. At the time of the trial, his older brother was 16. So I still can't imagine how you have to live your whole life dealing with this, knowing that your mother did this mm -hmm. and that your sibling is gone yeah so um there weren't any cameras allowed in the room during the time on their stand because they were minors at the time of Good. testifying yeah um so this isn't really an order to the things that they mentioned so i'm just going to kind of tell them an order of like how they came up in the documentary mm -hmm. so um the siblings first come up in the documentary um, with their faces blurred being interviewed by police mm -hmm. so ezekiel was the first one to be shown in the documentary he told police um the police were like so what was what was something that would happen with gabriel and tony and he said that Tony would grab Gabriel by his throat, and mind you, Tony was 6'2", and lift this 4'1 child up off the ground by his throat against the wall to choke him. Um, and then Gabriel's sister, Virginia, was shown next, um, and she would talk about how Gabriel was made to clean the litter pans for the family's cats. And Tony would look at Gabriel and say, if you don't clean that well enough, you have to eat it. Um... And she told of a time when Tony went to check on the litter pans and found they weren't cleaned exactly how he wanted them. And then he forced Gabriel to sit in a corner and made him eat um, the soiled cat litter. Um, so that was something that happened often in their home. Um, so after these clips were shown, there were transcripts, transcripts that were read out by a news reporter um, about more of the abuse. So um, Ezekiel testified that Tony and Pearl often would lock gabriel in a cabinet in their room despite there being two beds in ezekiel's room they would like lock him in a cabinet and force him to sleep there um they would tie him up put a sock in his mouth and put a bandana over his face before locking the cabinet using handcuffs on the outside of the metal handles um and ezekiel said they would keep him in his cabinet often almost every night and sometimes even during the day especially if there were social workers coming to the home and they just the social workers wouldn't you just wouldn't go into that room you just wouldn't see that there mm -hmm. were handcuffs on the outside of a no. cabinet 
like usually I'm 100% someone who understands that social workers are underpaid, overworked, mm-hmm. not given what they need to be able to, and that the law really does protect abusers over mm-hmm. victims. But what the fuck level of incompetence? Mm-hmm. Like you've got fucking eyes and you can't even do half your job and that's just to walk around the entire fucking place. Mm-hmm. Are mm-hmm. you shitting me? Yep. Um, and then he also said that um, he was also asked how his brother would go to the bathroom throughout the night if he was in this cabinet. And Ezekiel replied that he would go in the cabinet, but this would make Tony mad. So it would cause beatings and Gabriel would have be forced to, quote, clean up the mess that he made in the cabinet. Um, Ezekiel also testified about how Gabriel would often be hungry and Ezekiel would try to sneak some banana through the small slit of the ajar cabinet doors to help feed his brother because they wouldn't feed him. Um, he also talked about how Pearl had used the bottom part of a wooden bat to hit Gabriel in the mouth, knocking out a few of his teeth and proceeded to say they never took him to the dentist or to the doctor. Um, and they would also, um, Tony was a security guard, um, at the time of this, um, Ezekiel said that they would, whenever they got mad at Gabriel, they would put him in the bathtub and Pearl would hold Gabriel down as Tony sprayed pepper spray in his face, um, to punish him. Um, they also said that Pearl would put makeup on Gabriel's bruises to try and hide them and make them less noticeable. And they would put him in freezing baths to try to get the bruises to go away sooner. And instead of like drying him off and wrapping him after these baths, they would just put him naked and cold into the cabinet and lock him in there at night. I, how does none of the neighbors hear any of this and not make any calls? Well, here's the thing. The, where they lived was so crime ridden that they just it was one of those things that like you live in philly you don't question gunshots yeah you live you know what i mean like yeah but this is a child screams that mm -hmm. sounds very different than an adult it's i think it has a lot to do with the bystander effect a lot to do with oh well i don't have to do this because someone else will just breaks my fucking heart Mm -hmm. yeah (sighs) so while on the stand ezekiel was asked to talk about the events of the day that gabriel received this fatal fatal beating he said he was out playing with friends and he came home and found Pearl, Gabriel, and Virginia in Virginia's room. He heard them arguing as Pearl was mad that Gabriel was playing with Virginia with her toys. He's a child. Yeah, he was eight and he was playing with his like nine-year-old sister. What, he's not allowed to? Um, Pearl then proceeded to hit Gabriel in the face and drag him into her and Tony's room and Virginia followed and then she locked the door behind her. Um, and then Tony eventually said that or Ezekiel eventually said that Tony came into the room as well. Um, Ezekiel then heard a lot of screaming and banging. And then soon Pearl was like, then it stopped. And Pearl came out and was like, police are coming. You and Gabriel were playing and he fell and hit his head. So you're going to blame it on him. You're Mm going to try to. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Virginia also testified about the day that Gabriel was beaten. Um, She said she, she was the one who witnessed the entire thing. She said that Tony and Pearl had beaten him. And Tony had hit Gabriel so hard that he knocked the wind out of him and Gabriel fell to the ground and didn't get up. This is when they then threw Gabriel into the shower to try to wake him up. And when that didn't work is when Pearl called 911. After she got the phone, after Pearl talked to 911 and then Ezekiel, um, she went to Virginia and said, go get a rag and um, made her help her clean up Gabriel's blood off the floor. Um, And that's what happened right before the the paramedics came. So... um, I also kind of want to go into um, the medical professionals and what they testified about because there was some stuff that is not outwardly seen Mm -hmm. um, that is very important. So they had the coroner on the case testify 
And he said that the autopsy of Gabriel took two whole days simply due to the sheer amount of injuries he had, and they had to make sure that everything was documented. It took two days to do an autopsy on a 4'1", 59-pound child because of the sheer horrific. amount of injuries. That is one of the most horrific things. Mm-hmm. Like, yep. how, how do people do these things? So one of the things that was noted during the autopsy was lack of fat stores in Gabriel's body. And this was him um, due to him being starved. Yeah. And the only thing found in his stomach at the time of his death was the cat litter that Tony forced him to eat. That was the only thing in his stomach. There was nothing else but that in his stomach. These um, people fucking rot. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Um, another thing I want to mention uh, that they found was something about the thymus gland. So the thymus gland is right above the breastbone, kind of like where um, a tie would sit. Like okay. it's kind of like right on like... It's mm-hmm. not like I'm, I'm trying to think of like, if you think of like like if you have like breasts like it's like kind of like right where a tie would sit like okay. right above mm-hmm. kind of like right yeah. below where it's like right below where it's soft when your throat kind of starts yeah. to get hard on your okay. sternum like kind of like yeah. right there, and so this gland is responsible for making and training special white cells white cells called T cells. Okay. So this gland is normally larger in children as it's you know making those white blood cells mm-hmm. and making sure its immune system is built okay. up. Yeah. So at Gabriel's age, the, thi- the thymus gland is normally plump and white, weighing between 35 and 50 grams. As you get older, it decreases. Mm-hmm. Okay. Around 60, it's normally around like 15 grams. Like that's okay. it's nor- for like people our age, mm-hmm. I would say it's probably like 20 grams. Okay. Like it's not. Yeah. Like probably 30 grams. It's not like big, but it's yeah. still there because we're still young. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, in Gabriel, the person testified that the gland almost wasn't there. He said it was very small and thin and only weighed 10 grams and he said that the person he this person explained it was due to stress atrophy meaning he was under extreme amounts of stress for months so i also want to make note of the timeline of this Mm -hmm. this sounds like a lot of stuff and it is gabriel went to pearl and tony eight months before he died so in an eight in an eight month span all this happened in not even a year so he went from a bubbly, happy seven-year-old with his who grandparents. Was developing normally, was totally fine yes. medically. To a child who, yeah. and like in the documentary, they are very clear about the, they show pictures of him and pictures of the marks and his face and his eyes. And it's insane the amount of trauma this little boy went through in a span of eight fucking months. Like it is almost unbelievable. It is yeah. in fucking sane. Insane. It's inhumane what they did and also like I'm glad that you were talking about like to this level of degree of showing like this is how abuse impacts the body. Mm-hmm. It is this is one of the many reasons why I sit there and say that I am not okay with people spanking or hitting mm-hmm. their children in any degree or for punishment because it does atrophy the body. Mm-hmm. It does cause problems. Mm-hmm. This child, obviously, we're talking about the most severe type of child abuse mm-hmm. that is completely destroying this child's body from the mm-hmm. inside out. But, like, these are part of the injuries. This is important to mm-hmm. note. These are th- – that they have literally – they have abused this child to a degree that if he even survived mm-hmm. m- years of this, he would never be okay. Yep. Because they have completely destroyed his body medically. Yep. yep. So that's kind of – let me just look at my – I think – this is okay so that's pretty much we're done talking about injuries that's kind of the worst of what happened like it's i know that we kind of talked about Mm -hmm. a lot and this was a lot and this was very heavy Mm -hmm. um we're good now like there's no more there there should no be be no more graphic descriptions thus far to my knowledge if there is i forget because i finished this at like 3 a.m last night Mm -hmm. but or the night before but 
it should not there shouldn't be any more graphic descriptions mm-hmm. thus far now it's more trial stuff yes right? yep okay. so um the prosecution started painting was painting tony as this evil monster which he is mm-hmm. and were fighting for the death penalty but his defense was approaching it a little differently so they were saying they weren't denying that he harmed gabriel they weren't denying that they were just there's saying, no way not to yeah <laughs> He was just saying they were saying that he did the things when he was thrown into blind rage and they added that they thought he was under the influence of Pearl and cited his lack of criminal history. Go ahead. Oh my god, there is no amount of blind rage you can have to a child to do these things and it is nobody else's fault. She absolutely is just as equally responsible mm-hmm. and did fucked up things, but you had to have this inside of you. You chose to do this. No one can get you there literally gun to my head i couldn't even do an ounce of these things mm. even if someone was literally saying i will let you live if you harm this child mm. i no. would rather kill myself i'd rather die i gun to my head yeah. i would rather die than yeah kill an animal yep kill a human i no. there's no way uh uh-uh. so mm. jury deliberation began on november 14th of 2017 the trial only lasted about three or four weeks um and a verdict was reached by the next afternoon so the jury found Isaro Tony Aguirre um, guilty of first-degree murder and guilty of the torture special circumstances. So deliberation for the sentencing began a month later, and eventually they reached an agreement on sentencing Tony to death, as he should. So he received yeah. the death penalty. So now let's talk about Pearl's trial, or lack thereof. So while Pearl originally pled not guilty, she saw how Tony was sentenced to death, and due to this, she took a plea deal where she pled guilty first to first degree murder with the torture circumstances mm-hmm. she's um, a fucking, in order she's, to escape the death penalty. Because she is not incapable of mm-hmm. understanding consequences and actions. Yep. She just doesn't give a fuck about them. So this is going to make you really mad. Yep. So when sentenced, she said the following. I want to say I'm sorry for what happened. I wish Gabriel was alive. Every day I wish that I would have made better choices. I'm sorry to my children and I want to know I want them to know that I love them you don't love anybody mm-hmm. but also you wish you made better choices you could have this entire then you could have fucking made them yeah you could have done that this entire fucking time you never had to take him in the first place if you really did not want to be this child's parent mm-hmm. there were so many other loving adults that wanted to take him could have taken him and mm-hmm. would have raised him and did take him and did take him you were you were not incapable of resources. Mm-mm. You had every opportunity to stop what you were doing. Mm-hmm. You had every opportunity to get help. Even mm-hmm. though I think you're an evil fucking bitch that could have never been helped. And that you were never going to take responsibility for anything. And that you probably... Because you knew what you were doing was wrong. You didn't want to be punished. Mm-hmm. That was the thing. You didn't... There are parents who get into situations where their child... Like, usually, I think, in more neglect situations. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're can't there is it exists especially for folks who are poor and don't have resources that could get to a place where they cannot take care of their children Mm -hmm. to the ability that they should or that they are so burnt out especially like unfortunately i see this very often with parents of children with special needs Mm -hmm. that if they don't have the money resources or knowledge to really fully care for someone with special needs their children can be neglected although they don't want to mm-hmm. there is help out there there they can ask for help i like i was explained a situation recently by a family member at their workplace that there's a child who clearly like is showing symptoms to me mm-hmm. of neglect but that they just keep saying well the parent the mom just seems also really overwhelmed depressed all these mm-hmm. things and i'm like i respect that but I don't have any sympathy because mm-hmm. they have the ability to reach out for resources. Mm-hmm. 
she pearl always had resources pearl mm-hmm. always had the ability to have someone help her she chose not to do that because she's an evil fucking bitch mm-hmm. who clearly got off on harming her child and mm-hmm. harming another person mm-hmm. definitely definitely i hate her and i yeah. don't think she should have ever been allowed to talk i uh, agreed mm-hmm. so something else i want to talk about is a backlash the government officials received from the public following gabriel's death good mm-hmm. so as i mentioned previously there were a ton of calls to social services and the police to try to help mm-hmm. gabriel before it ended the way it did so due to the negligence of these workers, the DA decided to press charges against four of the social workers who were involved in Gabriel's case. So I don't know if you'll be able to fully answer this question, but like I'm confused. Why is it? Because like I know on the social workers end that they might not have been able to always do as much as they mm-hmm. wanted to because they didn't technically have the evidence or legally mm-hmm. like it's very confusing sometimes the amount of power social workers do have mm-hmm. legally because like they have the legal resource to say like this child is unsafe we're going to place mm-hmm. them with someone else but they have to get to a certain point to be able to do that they can't just do that willy-nilly yes how was it that the off but officers have way more power and discretion yes. how is it that i'm confused then that the officers were saying that they were trying to help in this situation but weren't able to we'll talk about okay we'll talk about why they why they why that they confuses were yeah. me so we're talking mean first about we don't so we're gonna talk a little bit about the sheriffs and stuff because mm-hmm. there wasn't a lot of information because it's obviously you know the good old boys club and yeah they're not the gonna chest. they're not gonna say what exactly. they did wrong exactly so mm-hmm. we're gonna talk mainly about the social workers but we're also gonna talk about a little bit about the sheriff so okay. the social workers who were charged were stephanie rodriguez patricia clement kevin Baum, and gregory Merritt. Mm-hmm. so they're all five from their positions and were child with char- charged with child abuse and falsifying public records mm-hmm. So when interviewed, Merritt, who was a supervisor over Rodriguez and Clement, said he was managing over 280 children's cases at a time that at the time that Gabriel's case came through. Um, he also said he felt as if he did everything he could to ensure Gabriel's safety. No. 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 You no. did not do everything you could. No. You just did everything that potentially in your means that were available to you because I- of how burnout you were yes. and i do want to point out like 280 cases is a it's lot too like it's too many and i do want to talk about you know i'm not forgiving yeah. them for not removing gabriel from this yeah. house but i do want to make a point of saying like you said social yes. workers are overworked overburdened yes. and underpaid and this is a part of that systematic failure that yes. we can fix the system if we put yes. more money resources and employees into this situation these would not be systematic errors that happened yep. so I do feel partially two ways that this could have been entirely preventable if we change the way the system is, Mm -hmm. but also that no, you cannot say that you did everything you could because there were things you could have done. You just didn't have it available to you because you didn't have the hours or manpower to do it. Well, and here's the thing. Um, He was the one who closed Gabriel's case, even though through a computer generated assessment, which as we know, lethality assessments always aren't always it. But Gabriel scored at very high risk for abuse and neglect, and he still made cho- he still made that choice to close Gabriel's case. Why? That's insane Don't to know. me. Don't know. So these charges against these four people could have could have held some substantial jail time, up to eleven years, but ultimately the charges were dropped once the defense filed a motion claiming there was lack of probable cause. So in January of 2020, so about three or four years after the, this, mm-hmm. the, they had first been you know filed, yeah. the DA once again tried to file charges but end up dropping them once again due to probable cause. Yeah. Even though they didn't convict or go to trial, this was a huge landmark case for Los Angeles because yes. it had never been done before. Yes. Like, doing this is, like, if you ask me, I get why yeah. they did it, and I get that I think they should be held liable. Yes. However, I was writing, like, I can't imagine if I was put on trial for the murder of a, yes. of a client 
because yeah. I didn't accept them into the program or because yes. I didn't do more. However, I do want to note that my t- my my type of social work that I do yeah. is vastly different from children youth, yes. vastly different from CNY, yeah. from DCFS. Well, like I am not why like that. It's really difficult, and like there needed to be a lot more proof to like what exactly they were failing at. So like especially in describing of the situation of not actually inspecting the home. I think that that is something that someone could be directly charged for because that is part of your specific responsibility and duty mm-hmm. that you clearly failed to do because if you had done this inspection, you would have found this child in the cabinet. Exactly. Like those I think are easy things to say that were direct offenses mm-hmm. by these people and where they directly failed. That him closing the case even though the computer was even flagging this as saying this is a big deal mm-hmm. case i think that that is something that directly shows their negligence agreed however i do also understand that it is incredibly difficult to then cite for just this one case because clearly they're probably failing at a whole bunch of other different cases because they're mm-hmm. so overburdened we'll, we'll talk about that too i'm yeah. gonna bring that up okay that because there's yeah. something else that was brought up at the end of the documentary so <sighs> We're almost done, guys. Yeah. <laughs> Promise. So not only was the Department of Children and Family Services criticized for how they handled Gabriel's case, but so were the sheriffs. So mm-hmm. when they had gone out to the home on one occasion, Pearl had told the police that Gabriel was lying about her hitting him and he got injured playing with older kids in the neighborhood. These sheriffs. Oh, oh, it's worse. These sheriffs actually then put Gabriel in the back of their patrol car and said, if you keep lying and saying your mom hits you, you're going to be the one going to jail. What the fuck? Do you know how difficult it is for a parent or for a child to admit that their parent yep. is harming them? No kid lies about that. Yep. Especially not a kid that age. Exactly. Why would exactly. you ever especially, believe especially that? Especially a kid who has no history of saying yes. that. Yes. No history of saying that. Clearly has physical injuries that are far above what any child could do to another child. But also, why would a kid be more okay with accusing their parent than accusing other children? Exactly. If they were afraid of other children, they would just say, I did it to and myself. they would go to their parent. Yeah. They would go to their parent or they would just straight up say, like, I did it to myself. Nobody did this to me. Mm-hmm. Or like, no, I'm not talking about it. They're not going to accuse an adult mm-hmm. of something that another child did to them. Exactly. 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 So um, there were nine sheriffs that responded at various times in the eight months before Gabriel's death and weren't. Tra- also, they What? Nine times. How do you not think that there's something going on in this oh, no, house? N- nine different sheriffs. Responded. Nine different sheriffs. OK, so there's nine different ones of you that keep responding and none of you are like, this is weird that there's so many calls to this mm-hmm. house. Yeah. So they weren't charged with anything, but they were disciplined internally, which all we all know that doesn't mean shit. <laughs> yeah. And so they were basically like, they were like, don't do slap it. on the wrist. Don't do stuff like that. Don't let kids die. Here's a donut. Exactly. Here's a gold star. Go sit at Wawa for three hours when you're yeah. supposed to be doing your job. Okay. <laughs> Something that happened not soon after the trial for Gabriel, another child was murdered because in Los Angeles County because of abuse. Yep. So... This is a systematic failure. Yeah, and it's going to happen to more kids if it doesn't change. And I wanted to talk about something called the family scapegoat syndrome. Mm. So this is something when in certain family dynamics, a single child is pointed out as the, quote, bad kid. This child, regardless of how many kids are in the family, will often be the main child being abused and neglected and Mm -hmm. a lot of times parentified. So in Gabriel's case, he was the one who suffered from the abuse. So he was the, the family scapegoat. A lot of psychologists think that a parent who has a personality disorder is more likely to take a child and make them a scapegoat than a parent who doesn't have a personality disorder. Understandable, because personality disorders in themselves, you don't think, when someone has a personality disorder, they don't think there's anything wrong with them. It's mm-hmm. that everybody else is yep. the problem. And um, these parents also view their children as an extension of their younger selves, mm-hmm. not thinking of them as someone worth protecting or worth 
being defended. Yep. And that's exactly what prompted Gabriel. So that's I, yes. there wasn't a lot of information. I, I couldn't find a lot of like good articles about family scapegoat syndrome, but I it do want to bring it up because it's a thing. It does exist, and unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, like because there's two different types of families basically when it comes to abusive families. There are abusive families who abuse everybody in mm-hmm. like a fucked like up degree. Like the Turpin family. The Turpin family, yes. Who is like straight up, they had some children that were literally being chained to beds. They were starving mm-hmm. all their kids. They were doing all this fucked up stuff. Or there are some families that literally just point out and harm one kid. And then yeah. it becomes an example for all the other ones. Yeah. So Gabriel was that person for his family. Um, that is the case of Gabriel Fernandez. Um, I'm sorry. I hate that so much. This might be the one episode I don't even listen to. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. Um, I love y'all. Um, I don't really have anything else to say. Other than if... You have experienced anything like this in your childhood. You never deserve to have something like that happen to mm-hmm. you. I am so sorry that anybody ever did things like that to you. Mm-hmm. It was not your fault. It was never going to be your fault. You deserved protection. You always deserve to be protected. Mm-hmm. And you deserve to live a life where you are safe always. Mm-hmm. Every child deserves that. And although I know we live in a, so- a society that tries to say like, we need to mind our business mm-hmm. or like we don't get to make decisions for other parents like as someone who also 100 percent, like i will say that when it comes to like the mommy shaming mm-hmm. of other people but it is different when you see a child who is clearly being mm-hmm. abused harmed or neglected that is not the same thing and please even if you feel like it's not your place or something like that just make that phone mm-hmm. call yeah. just do that one step because you never know that could be the one last thing mm-hmm. that is needed to save that kid. Yep, exactly. And exactly. although, like, nobody wants to see kids taken from their families, things like that, nobody likes that outcome, but sometimes it's necessary. It's necessary, and not being in that home is safer. Yes. Than being in that home. Exactly. So, um, with that being said, um, you can follow us. I think after this, we're going to do a silly episode tonight. Yeah. So, Hope we'll bring y'all up next week. Sorry. Yeah. Love y'all. Um, Sorry. You can follow us on Instagram at Figures in the Dark. You can follow us on Twitter at Figures in the Dark, but dark spelled DRK. You can follow us on Facebook, like our page, send us a message. Figures in the Dark. You can send us an email with your case suggestions, your spooky stories, your resources, your mental check ins, pictures if you're for babies. You can do that at Figures in the Dark Podcast at gmail.com. And then you can listen to us on all major streaming platforms, including Amazon Music, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Um, so we thank you guys for listening. Please take care of yourselves. If you need anything, we are here for you. We love you. Um, and as always, beware of the figures in the dark. Bye. Bye.